Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 46, where we're going to get to dive deep into Philippe's background. The, uh, uh, the topic du jour for today is a good one. We're going to find out how close Philippe was to becoming an internet sensation, a freestyler juggler making millions while juggling on social media. Uh, that's the topic today. On a serious note, um, we last episode spent quite a bit of time talking about um, Andy's background, what went right in Andy's background from a soccer perspective and development perspective, what could have been better, um, what kept him from reaching the top levels of the game. And we're going to continue that theme today with Philippe. Um, it's going to be a fun uh, a fun episode for me specifically. I know Andy's story quite well. Um, Andy also is 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 has been sharing bits and pieces of his story um, throughout this uh, podcast. But we don't get to hear from Philippe as much. And Brazil's culture is one that I think all of us as as, as listeners and enthusiasts in the game um, uh, find to be fascinating. Brazil, obviously the the greatest soccer nation um, uh, that has ever existed. And so it's going to be fun to get Philippe's perspective on how. Uh, how uh, what kept him from not just being an internet sensation, but actually playing in the Champions League one day, um, but also what went right and why uh, why that background has led him to where he is today. Not just hosting coaching inside the box, but also uh, being uh, a, a very important and fantastic successful coach for us uh, here in the Legends Club. Can, can I jump in and, and basically outline why we decided to do three of these podcasts where we highlighted the good and bad from our own experiences, you know, and you know, we this isn't an exercise in narcissism on our part, you know, and, and that's not for Andy, but for me, it hundred percent is. Wait till next week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is this is kind of exposing the you know the really bad stuff in our upbringing, you know, with the stuff that we got lucky with. Yeah, you know, and and so you know, Philippe culture you know huge in brazil me my family background with you know my uncle vic playing for napoli as well as a bunch of professional teams you know and just the whole family was steeped in soccer so you know we had some positives but maybe more importantly if you cut out all of the negatives and you stick to the stuff that really works and that's the purpose of these podcasts is saying these were our negatives can you look at where you are and identify the negatives in your environment the coaching philosophy the culture you know the attitude towards leadership in life if you can identify the negatives in your environment well maybe you can be a professional soccer player or the president of the united states yeah although i'm not sure why anybody would want to be the president <laughs> of the united states <laughs> the no and i think that's a good point and at the end of the day that's kind of our mission here and I think um, the reason why I coach is to influence the kids and impact their lives and uh, make sure they don't follow some of the wrong pathways that I followed. You know, if I see that I can direct them to the right way, you know, so they can become the better versions of themselves uh, that they can be, you know, that's my goal as a coach. And obviously I grew up, you know, worshiping the Brazilian heroes and wanting to be a professional soccer player. You know, got to be 
uh, for a little bit here with the Comets, but you know, wanted to be playing f in Brazil, then, you know, Europe, Brazilian national team and all that, that was the dream. But, you know, f for somebody to achieve that dream, somebody else needs to be a role model for these people while they're developing to become that player. So um, maybe that was my calling. And honestly, I couldn't be happier than than I am now. So I'm really, I'm really happy that everything in my life ended up happening the way it did because, you know, all of a sudden I was in Kansas City. Uh, and, you know, that's where I'm based now. That's where I met my wife, you know, and have a, a great life. And, you know, just, just that's the reason why uh, we coach and as Andy brought up that's the reason why we're doing this podcast so we can you know point out not just the positive but the negative so people can be helped and you know can serve as an inspiration as well so Let, well, let's dig in we're going to dig into to Philippe's background and the positives and the negatives from a soccer development perspective before we do that let's paint a picture we know Andy's really old we know Andy grew up in England a long long time ago Philippe's the baby the, of the podcast right so actually it was the Victorian era. <laughs> the Victorian era yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Andy, and, Andy the 19th century. Andy's cousin invented the game actually <laughs> Um, uh, so Philippe's the baby of the podcast. Philippe, uh, the era in which your was the formative portion of your youth, um, and and when you fell in love with the game was was you know I assume in between the '94 and the '98 World Cup, right? Um, and then your formative years were the early 2000s, and so. I can go back to that era. We all can, you know, that have been been around a, a bit. Um, and you know, '94 Brazil wins the World Cup, right? It's not their their best win, but they won, right? Like, yep, absolutely won. So on top of the world, um, uh, figuratively and literally, going into the '98 World Cup, right? They've got Ronaldo. The the uh, you know Nike has signed on at this point. Like like Brazil is the Brazilian soccer and the national team is a hundred percent. You know, lights, glamour, all of that, and er, and into the early two thousands. Despite losing in ninety eight, they again won again in two thousand two. And so, Philippe, paint a picture for us in terms of being a kid during that era and falling in love with the game. I mean, I I can compare that to if you know Messi plays another World Cup with Argentina, they lose in the final. And then, you know, they win the next one with someone else being the star. You know, let's say Julian Alvarez becomes the best. So for this generation of Argentinians, you, you, can you imagine that? Yeah. So that's how it was for me. But we had, you know, maybe not Messi's, but nearly Messi's. We had like three, four, five, six of them on each generation on, on those teams. So, I mean, it was incredible, man. And, you know, I, I go, I think I'm so fortunate of have been a, a five-year-old kid in six-year-old kid in 98 and a 10-year-old kid in 2002 because I still have in my mind in my memories you know that emotional connection to soccer and to the World Cup and to those Brazilian players and to that style of soccer uh, that only a kid can have you know and that excitement and that passion and that love but you know nowadays with social media YouTube and all that kind of stuff I could go back and rewatch rewatch everything and that made everything much better for me it, it cemented it yeah, yeah. and it show I can see now analyze the tactical side the technical side and everything that the players are doing like how actually good they were and actually uh, digest the game in a different way 
was still having that passion and that uh, excitement for the kids. So it was fantastic. You know, Brazil, it's a co country that it's completely immersed in soccer. And during a World Cup, the country literally stops for a month. You know, it's like a whole month of holiday and uh, all the streets are are painted in yellow and green or blue. Uh, all the, you know, graffiti artists are painting the streets with the soccer players. It's legit in the whole country, uh, in every corner. And all the kids are doing the little tattoos, you know, with the soccer players, Brazil, you know, it's gonna, w the next star that is coming and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so you grew up all that. We got the little stickers that now it's becoming popular here in Kansas City and in the U.S. Yeah, uh, yeah. Paninis. Yeah, we grew up. I have all the, the Paninis since 2002. It's interesting. It's interesting to me. Like we listened to Andy's story um, on the previous episode. And, and Andy talks about the 1966 World Cup um, and him being a kid during that era. And, and how uh, I think he, I think Andy's exact words were, can you imagine what that was like? Yeah. Right. Like, and then we zoom into yours and it's the same, right? Yeah. Like it's the 98 and then the 2010 World Cup mm -hmm. or 2002 World Cup when you were 10 years old. Um, um, what an, an awesome opportunity to, to live and, and yeah. have that feed into you. I had it better though. I mean, you know, in 1966, you know, uh, you know, I was an eight-year-old, and you know, and Paul Philippe, all he had was Ronaldo, <laughs> Rivaldo, and Ronaldinho. I had Roger Hunt, Martin Peters, and Jeff Hurst. <laughs> I mean, there's no comparison, is there? I mean, you know, those English guys are way better than those three Brazilians. Martin Peters. And you're, yeah, so, and you're forgetting you know. Roberto Carlos, you Cafu, know, Cafu, Danielson, dribbling, even his own teammates. I mean, Who was the goalkeeper? Uh, we had Marcos in 2002, and then uh, before that was Tafarel. Tafarel was 94, yeah. 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 Uh, 98. Roberto Carlos, after you know, that. you know, he played left back. You know, we had George Cohen. George Cohen. Yeah, I mean, you know, and on the right hand side, you had Cafu. You know, we we had Ray Wilson. Ray, I mean, yeah, Ray, Ray, Ray I mean, could famous. play. Ray could play. Way yeah. more famous than, than yeah, Cafu. Yeah. You know, just yep. you know. <laughs> Man, I saw I, I saw a goal. I saw a goal from Brazil the other day. Uh, I think it was Confederations Cup against Argentina when we beat them in the final four four zero four one. <laughs> like Philippe says that as though Andy and I remember the so game. No, so I, because it's a, a very, a very remarkable game. And like Brazil, it's connecting a ton of passes, blah blah blah. Then finally, England uh, clears a ball. Lusso is the center back, controls the ball in his chest between two strikers, beats the first defender with another touch. Does two scissors, beats one more, dribbles another guy, passes to the striker, and keeps going. And then the ball goes to the outside back, they cross Adriano and scores. I mean, just incredible. And Brazil kept the ball for like three minutes. I mean, just. Was so I'd, I'd just like to point out that, you know, I'm, I'm making fun of what I had in England yeah. in terms of role models and that. Yeah. Can you imagine being an American when Andrew was the same age? <laughs> 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 I mean, I can tell you, in 1993, I think the highest level of soccer game I'd ever watched up up until that point was the Colorado Foxes. Um, <laughs> they were they were taking PKs, <laughs> dribbling the ball. <laughs> no, that <laughs> I was 12 <laughs> then. I was 12 then. Oh, okay. I was 12. Then. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, so Philippe, uh, you know, pre-show notes. We know that you, you you're kind of in your vision for this episode is to break up um, your story into four different stages. 
Yeah, um, it's actually five. Five stages. I, I, I re-split stage. it. You re-split it. Okay. Yeah. So so let's let's dive in. Like like to, you know, unpeel the onion for us on that first stage in terms of development. And 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 I'm really curious to know. Um, what went right, and I think a lot of the listeners, especially those of us that haven't spent time in Brazil, um, uh, assume that a lot went right. But you really, in the pre-show notes, really unpeeled the onion and pointed out some things that um, uh, uh, didn't go so right um, yeah. from a developmental perspective. Yeah. So one of the things that you know people often get mistaken with, you know, the legends philosophy is that it's just chaos. It's just street soccer, and that's it. It's no. It's there's a design and there's an environment. You know, the, the environment is designed in a certain way. There's a coach that is guiding the kids to, within that chaos, have some organization. Uh, and I think that, you know, is something that we're going to get into uh, in my childhood uh, that, you know, is one of the factors. Uh, but, you know, as you said, there were a lot of positive things and, you know, I wouldn't have been, you know, gone as far as I've gone in soccer if it wasn't for the first, you know, 12 years of my life, my first, you know, my really childhood years. Um, I think those were the years that made a really crucial difference because uh, all I can remember in those days was soccer. That's it. I would go to school, you know, had my, you know, everything that I had to do as a kid. But since my, f the, my first memory that I can think of, it, there's a ball. Um, playing soccer with my friends, you know, a friend coming over to the house, you know, playing soccer, playing 1v1s, and, you know, just the whole day. That's all we could do, honestly. You know, I, I got a small Super Nintendo when I was like seven, eight years old, but, you know, up until then, there was no video game for me, you know, and I just played soccer. And, you know, by that time, seven, eight year old, I sitting in front of the TV, just staring at the screen, playing video game. Wasn't that fun for seven, eight years. I'm running around and playing soccer the whole time. So I did that way more than I played video games. And the one thing that I can really remember of my first memory of being pointed into a certain direction in soccer has the word wall. It was my, my uncle. Uh, and my dad, uh, they constantly, two uncles, two of my uncles that I remember vividly, uh, but actually probably all three of them and my dad uh, always talked to me about walls, that I had to be really good with the ball, have a really good first touch, have a really good pass, have a really good shot. So all I had to do is pass the ball, kick the ball back and forth against the wall. So you remember them talking to you like sleep are you are you spending time at the wall like did you, get, did you go to the wall but yet But it today? wasn't but it but it, it's funny because it wasn't a thing. So just to backtrack a little bit, my all four of them have a really strong soccer background. They all played academy level for Flamengo or Fluminense B clubs in Brazil. My dad played pro one game, actually scored in Maracanã. You know, they all went like almost 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 there yeah and one of my uncles was like the next zico at flamengo but he hit puberty too early then when he got to you know u17 u18 he kind of struggled a little more and again made choices also in life that you know kind of didn't follow the path but they were all super good so they all really knew what they were talking about um but the, they my dad didn't live in rio during the week he worked 
uh, three hours away from Rio in a small town. Uh, that's where the family business uh, was. Uh, and he would spend the whole week there and just come back home on the weekend. So my dad wasn't really coaching me. My dad wasn't really, uh, you know, oh, do this, do that. You know, it was like every once in a while we would play. He would play with me, you know, but it was playing. He would teach me some, some tricks, some, some stuff. But it was like a dad teaching a son. Like it wasn't like he wasn't really coaching me. I remember them talking about the walls. It was just like mentioning, you know, oh, okay. you, should, you should do that. You know, that's something you should do. But that somehow stuck with me. Maybe because the environment that I grew up in, you know, Brazil, Rio, um, the city, the near, the closest outdoor soccer, uh, you know, full field that is available to play, probably 30 minutes, 40 minutes without traffic. And there's always traffic. Mm -hmm. So it's not super accessible. So it's futsal courts everywhere. All the futsal courts are in a, in a, in a building or you know in a and when in you a say futsal area. court you mean a concrete floor with concrete floor. with barriers around it correct that's yeah. what i was going to say it's all fenced yep right and ball never escapes so there's walls everywhere uh, there has always been well, so it was something that it was always there let me pause that and make an observation andy you've told the story before as a, as a young boy growing up in england that your trip to school you would take a ball with you and you would and you, as you walked to school, you would play the ball off the wall with the outside of your foot all the way to school um, with one foot. And then on your way back, you did it with the other foot all the way home. Philippe, right? Like I'm envisioning, I've been in Latin America before. I'm envisioning Rio not having been there, right? And concrete everywhere. Um, and like when we compare it to the American environment, American kids don't have easy access to walls everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's notable to, yeah. to point out that, that that walls played a significant, and we, you talked about your back patio, Andy, last week. Walls played a significant, um, significantly more of a role than they did for me uh, or for America. And I had probably more walls in my soccer upbringing yeah. than most kids did, yeah. um, having been a Legends player. So. so so last night we had an incident in our neighborhood involving um, you know, some kids, myself and a neighbor. And, um, you know, my wife uh, you know, kind of came to the, the rescue of the, the Ball family, you know, when Manute died. Manute being an NBA player that was seven foot seven inches tall, you know, died on, on his way back from Africa on a mission trip. And, uh, you know, and my, my wife had become friends with the Ball family and had supported them through lots of things that they found confusing about living in America. As you can imagine, coming from South Sudan, you know, and, and, you know, and setting up roots in American society was difficult. Yeah. You know, after that, completely different. They're neighbors to, to you. They live yeah, very close. Yeah, the upbringing. So, so these kids have become, you know, almost like our kids. And, you know, they're, they're backdoor kids, as we say in England, where they just walk in, help themselves to food, you know, candy, whatever it is, you know, and, you know, and they can sleep over. Right now, they're sleeping over for a month because mom is back in South Sudan sorting out some family issues and problems. So she has to go, had to go over there on an emergency basis. So, you know, they're, they're back, you know, playing basketball in the drive every day like they used to when they were, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, the only difference now is the two oldest, they're teenagers, 
you know, they're six foot six, six foot seven, <laughs> six foot eight. You know, and they look like thirty-year-old men. You know, playing in the. You know, if you look closely, of course they don't, but they're just huge human beings. You know, and even Mariak, who's the eleven-year-old, you know, is is staring me in the eyes. You know, he's like five foot nine. You know, and uh, you know, in in another month he'll be taller than me. You know, yeah. it's it's just incredible to watch the, these kids sprouting up. You know, and. Our next door neighbor, you know, who's exactly my age, he's 65, you know, he, he walks out there. He's been doing this over the last few days, and we thought we'd leave it and not say anything. He walks out there, and he stands there, I don't know, five yards away from them on his property, just staring them down. And yesterday, he started saying things like, what are you doing making all of this noise in the night? But they're bouncing a basketball and shooting yeah, yeah. a basketball. They're not even shouting and hooping. About the midnight hollering. is when they were doing it. <laughs> it's like six p.m. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, and so you know, and so um, you know, I, I actually this time I videotape him because you know this is getting old. You know, he's trying to intimidate these kids, and he is intimidating them. Mm. They don't want to go out there and play basketball in the front drive, and they've been doing it every day for the whole of their life. You know, their older brother, you know, plays for Miami. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, or Orlando, one of the two. Yeah. You know, and uh, you there's know. a difference between the two. You should know. Yeah, what is that? Uh, one was just in the NBA Finals. The other one was not. Okay. <laughs> the one he plays for. One, the not. one, one of them is getting messed. The one, the other one is not. <laughs> anyway, he's getting paid ridiculous money. Yeah. You know, and he's helping his family out great because they've not been well off since Madut. Uh, since Manute but died so so uh so you know I, I i after this latest incident i actually you know he i go out there and he scuttled back into the house as i start coming out so mm-hmm. i go around and calmly ring the doorbell you know he comes to the door and i say can you not you know intimidate these kids from playing basketball in the drive these kids you know we want our kids to grow up healthy and fit and doing fun things you know, and, you know, and so, you know, at this moment in time, what you're doing is not right, you know, and I am going to have to call the police if this continues. So kind of last chance motel here, you know, but, you know, and there's been a whole bunch of other things that have happened in the past. This isn't, yeah. this, you know, yeah, yeah. the first negative rodeo that we've had, you know, and, uh, and you know, and, you know, I was like, well, they shouldn't be out there. They shouldn't be playing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in their in what is essentially their number two front drive because they virtually lived here at times for years and years and years. You know, how do you figure that one out? That kids shouldn't be allowed to play in their own front drive. You know, uh, one of America's sports. Yeah, yeah. You know, I said yeah. that's not going to go over well with the police, is it? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, please, you know, leave them alone to be kids. Don't try and intimidate them. Don't try and stop them playing because this is great for kids. Yeah, that they're allowed to play. You know, and you know, just you know, I said, hey, l- listen, don't make me call the police. Yeah, I really don't want to have to. You know, it's it's way beneath them to have to come out and deal with this type of intimidation. You know, and so, so you know, and, and uh, you know, it's it's only been you know twelve hours or whatever that he hasn't done it since. You haven't called the police yet, <laughs> in other words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll have to question whether I even will call the police if he does it again. But another three times, I've got no option. So, so make that connection to the walls as, as we were talking before. Oh, yes. You know, the point about this is that basketball has a built-in wall. You know, you're shooting a basketball. That's you know, what happens when you miss the hoop? 
you know, it comes, it bounces, it goes somewhere, and but it's not forever away. Yeah, and it usually bounces back in your direction because yeah. you hit the backboard. Yeah, yeah. You know, unless you're terrible and you like <laughs> me, and you completely miss the backboard, the hoop, and everything. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it usually comes back to you. You know, from the backboard. So, you know, nine out of ten shots. You know, you're literally, you know, throwing up a ball that hits a wall if it doesn't go into the. Into the net. This is actually a good comparison because in um, in America, right, in the suburbs where, where I grew up and where I live, every few houses has a basketball goal, right? And so we have ample opportunity, access to the wall from a basketball perspective. In in the city, right, there's 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 basketball goals and courts on every corner, right? Um, and so that that's a good connection, specifically pointing out what I'd mentioned a moment ago, which is as a soccer player growing up in the United States, we don't have access to that. And so I, I, I thought that was worth noting as you talked about the, the impact the wall had. So give us some description. Andy gave us a really good description last week about how uh what his wall looked like and and how he used his wall what did it look like for you and how did you use it in brazil so there were two there were two that were very remarkable so basically brazil third world country a lot of violence right so the back of our house had a small little porch right and my dad had well not even my dad i think that when we already got the house that porch was closed and was surrounded by concrete they made like a little storage area right and my dad would keep like you know his gym workout stuff and some stuff over there and as i grew up that was the area that i would go and i would kick the ball around and that area looked just like a box soccer court like yeah. no kidding it was like a, a big rectangle it was probably a little bit wider a little bit longer uh but you know it was like a, a little bit maybe not even wider i think it was probably the same width just a little longer uh so yeah i mean i just i just kicked the ball and you know, watch the 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 game Brazil games, and you know all the games in the TV. Back in those days, the m- most of the Brazilian players actually played in Brazil, so I would watch them on TV or listen to them in the radio when the game was in Rio. They were on TV. We had to listen to them on the radio. It was was a lot of fun, <laughs> and I would try to you know simulate the goals and replicate what they're doing. But I didn't really, as I said, besides them mentioning wall and the wall being my environment like without a choice that's what i had to do you know uh that's what i did and i think that's what made me uh the player that i am today because the my probably my biggest difference makers was always my shot you know no matter where i i played you know i was the guy eventually taking the free kicks taking the corners you know even if i wasn't a you know a player that had a very big impact on the team you know if I was on or they would try to put me in in certain situations because of my free kick, because of my shot, because I could I could score, you know, from 40, 50 yards, you know, sometimes, you know, I could cross the ball really well. And it was because I really, 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 really spent so much time shooting the ball, shooting, 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 shooting. And the other environment that I had, and I talked to Andy, my grandma, um, he, she kind of lived, had like a, uh, a house in in the mountain, like an hour away from Rio, uh, in another city, uh, and that was you know this grass field, and that was a little concrete, probably you know four or five feet tall, uh, no more than that, uh, you know. So it was a wall of like concrete, and over that wall there was like a hill that would go to the house. So every time that I shot the ball, I had to keep it under that uh, f- uh, five feet wall for the ball to come back to me or 
if I hit it just above it, the ball would probably roll up and then roll back down. But if I hit it too high, the ball would go all the way up and I had to climb the hill to go get it. And I kind of managed to always shoot low and hard so the ball came back to me. And that was, I think, how I got to have a lot of power because I could hit the ball really hard and the ball wouldn't go up. I would keep it down. And because I didn't want to go up and chase, the, I only had one ball and I didn't go up to chase the ball. You didn't want to go up and chase the ball, but you also could hit it hard because if you did miss, you weren't going to break your mom's uh, window or the lounge window, as you mentioned last week. I love Which those. Which I've done many, 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 many times and my mom absolutely hated it. You mean breaking and, stuff? Oh, all <laughs> over, everywhere. I have, I mean, my, my grandma, uh, Right before she, she died, you know, she was retired and she painted. So she had a lot of porcelain that she would paint. I broke so many and like my grandma passed. So like some of them were like precious, precious memories and I, I broke it. But they're, but they're they're glued. And I love those two stories. I, I, I mean, it's it, it's so interesting how life comes at us, right? Like your, your dad was a, Andy, your dad was a, a giant soccer nut. Right. Um, and appreciated you on the back patio using that rebound surface and playing. But of course, he never thought like, ah, if only I could find a house that had a big wall that didn't have any danger zones. Then Andy would have been a better ball striker from a uh, shooting perspective or from a long ball perspective. Right. Um, and, and like, of course, your parent, your grandma didn't pick out her house thinking the impact that it would have on Philippe's game. Um, it's just I love the the creativity. I don't mean from a soccer perspective, but just as kids looking for space to be able to emulate and play out our dreams. Um, you know, I've got some similarities that I'll talk about in the next episode for and, mine. But that's such a cool and like cool get and, and like again, my dad wasn't ever like really coaching me, but I have memories of little things he said of things that I needed to do that always stuck to me. You know, he always said I didn't listen to him, but I, I, I actually do. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so he always we, talked about Rivaldo and how Rivaldo would score from really far shooting low. So I always thought, you know, everybody always talked about, oh, we got to hit the top corner. And, you know, Rivaldo was always scoring from far shooting low and he always pointed that out to me. So that was one thing that I also remember. So having that environment and thinking about what my dad said, boom. Boom. Yeah, so made, ev- made a difference. Every great player that I've tracked had a wall that they could hammer a ball against. Every great player, yeah. Leo Messi, you know, in the flea, the book, the flea, it talks about you know how his mum and his grandmother, you know, are cooking in the kitchen, and they're just you know they can hear this bang, bang, bang from Leo hitting the ball against the wall, you know. And when you actually look at a photograph of the house he grew up in, you know, there's a big fence that literally closes off all the gaps between the road and this little area that you bang the ball in, so the ball couldn't escape. So from age two, they could just throw him out there and leave him out there for as many hours as he wanted to be out there. He could pop in, get a drink, go back out there and hit a ball so as soon as he could walk he's out there kicking a ball and he grew up with a ball at his feet but he grew up shooting a ball not just receiving it and dribbling around a little bit he grew up hitting hammering a ball Mm -hmm. you know cannoning a ball as hard as he could you know and the rest is history you know so it's really obvious that Philippe got a lot of it 
I got the passing off of the wall that yeah. my dad fought my mum over to get me you know, to be able to use. Because he knew it was good for you. He wasn't your neighbor uh, intimidating you, saying, right, trying to stop us. Stop the fun. And we had a neighbor that, that you know did try and intimidate us and tried to stop us. Let me guess, he was a cricket up. fan, wasn't he? Uh, you know, that's a terrible sport. Please tell my <laughs> nephew I said it because he loves it. Um, you know, and. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it was about the environment. Yeah. And so we're kind of crazy if we put kids into these big field environments because these big field environments kill the repetition needed to build incredible shooting ability. Right. Just for, totally kill it. And, and for, 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 for my money, like my thought process, that's maybe one of the biggest uphill, uphill battles we in the United States have is we don't have access just to random walls at any type of, with any type of regularity for kids, uh, uh, wanting to play the game, um, and then the fields we keep building are the giant monolith turf the, complexes. The problem is we're too rich. We're not poor enough to have these walls everywhere and Correct. live in these tiny spaces. You know, and you know we're so rich that we have all of these you know diversions, all of these other things that we can do that waste our kids' time, even if it's just social media. Yeah. You know, and so we're in a situation here where we've we've done so well as a country that you know in many ways we're leading the world in terms of you know things like income and stuff like that, and so we don't need these tiny little spaces you know in the slums you know where there's lots of kids you know where you can hit thousands of shots in an hour or two and not think anything of it yeah but there's somebody listening now that's getting ready to build a house and when you build that house put a wall in a wall specifically designed for your kid uh, to beat the ball against um, in the basement or uh, whatever in the basement. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like put it into the garage yep. you know put it at the end of the garage so that you know you can pull the cars in when your kid wants to work out in the garage pull the cars out mm-hmm. you know and then you can have a perfect rebound wall you know I've got people that have talked to me over the phone saying we're definitely going to do that I've, yeah, in fact uh, uh, Jay uh, one of our listeners out in California sent me a video of a box soccer court uh, he built um, in his backyard um, really cool, and what, several of the kids that I coach have done this in their unfinished basement basements as well. Okay, well, let's we, move. You know, real quick though, you know, uh, remember he was one of the greatest strikers on your team. You know, just phenomenal striker. Played Division One soccer, and and should have played pro, but you know there wasn't that much opportunity back in those days. Ryan yeah. Kaufman, yeah, he had a kickback. Yeah, you know they were sold here in Kansas City. His mum went down and bought him a kickback, and Ryan hit thousands of shots in his backyard yep. that probably your backyard wasn't equipped to do, even though I recommended to all the parents. So I got one too, but my backyard was such a giant hill, there was really no good no place. To, there was no place, place to put it. So I had it put up back there, but my space was, it never lent itself to me really having the Doesn't time. Doesn't say much it. for the intelligence of the Clifton family. Yeah, so they got, a, <laughs> they got a kickback for a hill. <laughs> Okay. No, there, was, there was a very small flat area that I could have access to, which is where the kickback was. I'm having this. I had this conversation with my wife yesterday about building a little box soccer, not you know maybe small field area in the house, and she's like, no, because yeah. I, wa- I want to take down like part of the porch and part of the yard and like do all these kind of stuff, and she's like, no. No, it's like, okay, we're moving in a couple of years or so. It's like, okay, maybe. maybe uh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so. Shouldn't you have had that conversation before you married her? Uh, nah. <laughs> But in the in the pre-show notes, Philippe, you talked about right the the, the influence that walls had as being a, pi, a giant positive, right? Yeah. And then you actually compared the the chaos of 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 your upbringing from a soccer perspective to legends organized chaos, mm-hmm. um, and the impact that that chaos had in a negative way yeah. on on your on your on your development. But can you un- unpeel that onion for yes. us? Yes. So. So basically, that part 
you know, the walls. I've got to stop you. Unpeel the onion? Yeah, you don't think that's Does that put the onion back together? I mean, you know. Peel the onion, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, unpeel that onion for us. How do you unpeel an onion? I've never seen that done before. You haven't? I'll have to show it to you sometime. Okay. <laughs> 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 anyway, lost track of thought. Uh, oh yeah. So uh, when I was so when those days when I was really young, probably you know from f- four to you know eleven, twelve. I mean, I was I was incredibly uh, good. I was really really good everywhere I played. You know, I was always the goal scorer, the deceptive dribbler. You know, the player that everybody wanted to the team until they played with me. Because I was the most selfish, individualistic player and arrogant that I could have possibly been. Uh, and that was a good and a bad thing. When are you going to mature out of that? <laughs> Eventually. Uh, but it, it, it's, a good, it's a good trait for a kid to have in soccer as a kid if it's tailored and direct channel that all that confidence and energy and passion and desire get channeled the right way and I don't think I was channeled the right way as a kid so I developed a ton of bad habits because I wasn't I wasn't really coaching in Rio um, if you want to back in those days if you wanted to play soccer you know actually play soccer play for an academy or anything like that you needed pretty much to drop out of school so that was never an option so i just played you know school soccer you know played street soccer never really played and never really got coached seriously i very common in brazil you know you go to you know flamengo or uh, fluminense or vasco or botafogo or any you know country club and they will have a 10 dollar membership you pay and you can the kid can go play soccer two three times a week so that's kind of what i did a little bit but you're not really coach it's just street soccer and the, i develop as a player and as a kid a lot of bad habits for example because I was a deceptive dribbler and goal scorer, my thought process was if I have the ball, my team has more chance of scoring because I'm better than all my teammates. So I don't need to pass the ball to anybody. I need to have the ball the whole time and all my teammates can, all they have to do is defend so we don't get scored and then they pass the ball to me and I do everything else. So that as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old kid, I mean, honestly, for a while, that was my whole mentality. Well, and there's giant positives in that. Correct. And giant connections to how we coach the game uh, uh, to kids. Bingo. And that's when I didn't have the legends philosophy or the legends organized chaos or a coach, a role model, somebody that could point me. I had, you know, some of those professors that, you know, would punish me for certain attitudes, would try to educate me, but... I don't think there was anybody that on that time that was impactful enough to make the change, you know? So, so I, what were you missing, right? I, I didn't, for, I completely disregarded the defensive side of the ball. Okay, okay. Legit. I did not do it. So when Andy talks about the warrior mentality that comes from legends, 1v1s, and, and, and your dog-eat-dog, and that dirty side of the ball, you didn't have any of that? Only on one side of the ball. Okay. So when, when I had the ball... I I was I was always hungry. I was always, you know, 
chasing everything, you know, shark with blood in the water, you know, going for it, really, really passionate about it. That's what I wanted. That's what I was driven for. I lost the ball. The other guys need to do the job for me because I'm the guy who's going to do the other job for them. So I, that's kind of, and again, I was a kid. I wasn't, you know, now I see how, you know, I thought at that time. And, you know, it's wrong. I had to do part of the work, defensive work. So they were willing to do the defensive work for me. And they were willing to give me the ball. And they would enjoy me as a player. And they wouldn't all hate me, you know, because I was, I was, I was a dick to all of them, you know. So, uh, and I won a lot of games for, for, for the teams and, you know, and all that. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't good for my development. It was good for my development on the ball. But it wasn't good for my development, you know, as a player from that perspective of having that water mentality from a toughness perspective, you know, uh, to be handled, getting kicked, you know, and getting abused and all that kind of stuff so a little better. And in also my understanding of the game. And I think that was something, and especially I didn't play academy soccer until I was 18 years old. So well, I wasn't coached. That's where I was going to go. So, that, so, so you had a, an exceptional ability with the ball at your feet, would, would sounds, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you lacked the dirty side of the ball. Mm -hmm. um, Due to, to to really growing up without a coach, without organization at all, um, so you got the extreme positive of one end um, and the extreme negative potentially of the other end. What was it like when you first started playing organized with coaches? Right, like I, I know we've talked on this on this podcast before about you didn't put on a pair of cleats a pair of boots until you were like 15 or 16 years old and you had to borrow them to do it um uh, so we all know that you had the extreme end of unorganized soccer of which i think andy and i both have some uh envy uh i certainly have some envy um uh um associated with that um but what was it like when you first started playing organized did those gaps in your hold that thought i yeah. don't have it any envy of playing in bare feet at all because I got the ugliest feet in the world. I got bunions, you know. So you know, don't don't include me. Don't include me. You do have the ugliest feet. That is fair. You do have the ugliest feet I've ever seen. Awful. You'd make nothing on feetfinder. Yeah, I would never got married if my if my wife had seen my feet before the beach beach wedding. Andy's definitely wearing socks and shoes and a hat because it's too white. But what was that like? Um, uh, when you first started playing so, in an organized manner. So before, I'm going to get into that, but before that, there's a, a little bit that, so that stage, you know, was my first stage, right? So before that, there's a little bit of uh, of something that I wanted to, to point out uh, that was after that 12-year-old, 13-year-old hit, and I wasn't a superstar anymore. I wasn't as good anymore. So, so can I, can I, you know, because this is really important. Left on their own, kids will do what Philippe did. Mm -hmm. They will dribble and shoot, um, but they will not become a complete player. And in the Legends Club, we're set up to do both. So what we've done is we've delved into everything. So everything is achieved side by side without robbing the dribbling and shooting. 
you know, so that everybody can do it because there's a ball each. Yep. There's a ball between two. And so, you know, we're doing all of these things in these tight spaces, box soccer courts, tiny little practice fields, you know, working on moves in front of mirrors and in, in dedicated spaces. We're doing all these unique things that nobody has yet decided to copy, as far as we can tell, in world soccer. And we've been out here for a long time now developing really good players in an environment that's not conducive to developing really good players. It's not a soccer society where we are. You know, it's not traditionally the game we play. You know, and that's what you're describing here, right? Yeah. Same thing happened to me even within a soccer society. You know, I didn't have the environment to build that completeness that I needed. Yeah, and I didn't have the guidance to complete it. What I needed, again, my dad wasn't living in Rio up until I was 13 years old. So he wasn't seeing me playing soccer on the streets he wasn't seeing me playing soccer with my friends he wasn't seeing me playing soccer in school so he he was on the weekends he for him to keep his marriage he needed to spend time with my mom yeah. so they would go to the pool and hang out with their friends and i would be How playing soccer with the <laughs> right putting himself over soccer uh, so but that but yeah so i i was a kid that i hit puberty like extremely late like 17 years old well, if and people I are s- watching this on youtube right now with your fresh wonder if i ever did face they're actually wondering if you ever did yeah well it's because now i don't work out as i did before and like i'm skinny and i sh- just shaved and I, I look really young but you know f- during that it looks time, like i could be his dad during that time of 13 to 17 years old i i was struggling as a player because i lost the f- I was always even with the kids and I was always athletic so I was always had an advantage and all of a sudden I was really really tiny Re- my, I mean my dad is really short my mom is short I'm short but you know having being really late and being short I was really tiny really skinny I had no power I have no strength and that really discouraged me as a player and again I wasn't really coached until that point so I didn't have a guidance I didn't have anybody giving me the confidence giving me that boost of confidence what I had was my dad telling me you'll be fine you'll be okay look at me and he would show me the pictures of himself he was the opposite at 14 he was a grown-up man he looked like Kun Aguero I mean, 170 pounds at 5'6", you know, he was a monster. So, he Are you sure he's it? You know, he's your father. <laughs> well, we do after, after I, after, after I, I grew 23 up. 23 and me. After I grew up, after I grew up, we did look a you lot you alike. You met your real father. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, but yeah, so he, he ca- explained to me, you know, I had an advantage, you don't. I was born in February, you're born in October, you're the youngest on your age group, right? Because it's always been birth year in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So it's, you, you have a disadvantage. So you just need to be patient. Your time is going to come. Sounds like your mom played soccer away from home a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or my dad. They were living away from each other. You never know them. Just kidding. They're still married up until the, this day. So uh, anyway. What's happening today? Huh? What's happening today? No, they're getting they're divorced today. No, uh, you know, yeah. you, you said a couple of minutes ago, you said, uh, you know, I'm, I look old enough to be his father. You yeah, know, yeah. I look old enough to be his great-grandfather. <laughs> no, he's, you're exactly my dad's age, so you're not, you're you not that twice old. The age. You're not that old. <laughs> 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 all right, all right, carry uh, on. Uh, but, but yeah, so I think that uh, that period was was interesting because... I was discouraged as a player, so when I was playing, I wasn't trying as many moves. I wasn't, you know, doing 
at being as effective, you know, I honestly wasn't playing as much soccer, you know, at that time. Start. That's when I started getting a little distracted by other things. We're gonna get into it those a little what bit are those later things? on. Well, uh, you know, I hang out with friends, you know, girls, you know, parties and stuff like that. But at that time, it wasn't a, that wasn't still a, really a thing. But I just got discouraged because I wasn't super effective, and you know, that was the nike youtube brazil national team ronaldinho joga bonito era so all i saw on the youtube commercials that what youtube j had just started was ronaldinho hitting the crossbar and then all the juggling all the juggling all the juggling all the juggling so all i did was spend hours and hours and hours either shooting the ball against the wall because it was something that i always did therefore i never lost that and juggling And I could do every, I literally, and I had a mentality that if I had the same mentality for skills, I would have been incredible because I would see any of the players doing any trick and I would watch that trick 300,000 times until I got it down. I've told completely. you a billion times not to exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm probably not even exaggerating and you have no idea. I wouldn't go to bed. I would go, I would go overnight watching things. And I would make sure I did it. And I, I had like a repertoire. So you spent... And I would cross. I would cross that little flake doing this, this and that, that Ibrahimovic did. Check, check, check. I would checklist every single one. And I would record myself doing. I lost all the footage. But I had myself as a 13, 14-year-old, really skinny, wearing shorts, doing all those things in my little bedroom because at that time, you know, where I wasn't there, I was shooting. I was a webcam in my bedroom. I had made a little space. I would move my bed around a little square and I would do all the tricks. And if I had put all, if I was pointed the right way and I had put all the emphasis in the skill part of it and, you know, so I kept taking people on, losing the ball and being okay with it and being pushed to keep doing it and then once I hit puberty at 17 and that's when the game became really easy for me and that's when I was again becoming to be to stand out I would have been a thousand times more effective so you're saying and that's that, not exaggerating <laughs> so you're you're saying that that you took juggling freestyle juggling and all those tricks very seriously very seriously so seriously that you had a checklist you marked them off um you were very methodical and thoughtful about your acquisition of that skill set but now looking back uh maybe even for a while looking back that 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 methodical checklist um, uh, a serious interest in acquiring those skills set you back from actually playing at the level that you would have liked to play. Had you taken that same manic, obsessive um, uh, um, uh, approach to acquiring skill and it been the drag Maradona and it been the Matthews and it been the double scissors and it been, you know, the, the, the fake shot Puskas, had you done that, you would have been a significantly better player. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think, not only that, but having the confidence of using it. But here's the thing. Nobody was telling me to do it. I wasn't being pushed to do it. It was totally I intrinsic motivation. It. it was just because I wanted to yeah. do it. I wanted. And honestly, maybe because I wasn't being so effective in the soccer games, I wanted to have something in soccer that I could show off and be better than everybody because yeah. I was always a competitor. Yeah. So I, 
you know, if I had somebody pointing me to that direction to do had that same motivation, and then later on, if I had kept that motivation, you know, and pointed to the right direction, you know. But during those years, that those years, I would classify as discouraged but hungry, but misguided. You know, I didn't wasn't pointed in the right direction. I was discouraged during the games, but I was really hungry. I'm gonna con- I, I'm gonna continue the the theme of today's episode. I keep comparing Andy and, and Philippe in, in really specific ways. Both of you have, and I think Andy sharing your story last week have a have demonstrated that as a kid you had an obsessive uh, 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 approach and attitude to to acquiring specific parts of the game, but both of you would say due to different circumstances, perhaps those skills that you acquired in this obsessive way um, were just the wrong skills. So, so the, the soccer killers for me were, and I was just making a note of this chess, because I played that for a couple of hours every night when I was playing against the lodgers and, Hence, ended up in hospital, beating the Oxford University chess captain a few times. He was way better than me, but who who, who can ever say they've beaten an Oxford University chess captain? I can't. And, but I've never and, uh, I've never gotten to play one. So that chess, might be the difference. chess number never one. Never played chess. Yeah, and reading because you know I was a voracious reader. You know, and and I wouldn't choose soccer over reading. You know, because that in many ways made me who I am today. And other sports. You know, because soccer is the great fitness sport for carrying over into other sports, it, straight away, you know, I, I made track teams, you know, I ran cross country, you know, and, you know, I could hit a tennis ball because hand-to-eye coordination was easy compared to, you know, foot-to-eye coordination, you know, and so all the racket sports, whether it was tennis, badminton, or squash, I was good at those sports, and then soccer's very similar to field hockey, only you're swinging a stick, you know, and so I was good at field hockey, so I was on the school team for that. You know, and I was a tough working class kid, so I was on the rugby team mm-hmm. you know, in school. And so all these other things during their seasons took preference in many ways over soccer. I went to a school that didn't play soccer. You know, they did later, but not while I was there, you know, because it was too working class. It was way beneath them. So the immediate alternatives took preference over soccer. Yeah. is what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like the same thing happened to you, even within Brazil. But I would imagine much less because it was Brazil. Well, it, it, it became juggling. I mean, it was something with a ball that became the distractor. Yeah, so, yeah, I could still do things that were applicable, but not as applicable as you would, like not the things that would have made me a difference maker at the highest level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, I think a big portion of it, going back to starting back all the way back into the defensive side and that causing my lack of tactical understanding of the game and the mental side because I think that ended up being my worst enemy of all because once I hit puberty at 17 you know at that time a big thing for my teenage years was you know had a group of friends all soccer junkies and we had our own team and other people around Rio and keep in mind a 7 million people city so it's a lot of people putting together their own teams renting fields and betting on the rental of the field the team that loses pay the whole rental you know and we would you know find on internet social media was starting those games and that's all I did I played a ton of you know every pretty much every day uh, every weekend the whole weekend two three four games a day and that's what I did from 
15, 16, 17, 18, when then I joined the, the Fluminense Academy, you know. Uh, long story short, I started, you know, training about Botafogo because my dad knew a guy, you know, who had invited me a year early watching me playing one of those games seeing how you know talented i i was thought thinking that i had potential took me it wanted to take me to Botafogo. but since ever i was you know five years old you know six years old uh i've had many opportunities to go play in academies and my parents always say no because of school right uh so again my parents said no because of school so at 18 when i finished high school they allowed it uh, you know, but I had la- lost all those years of actually being maybe guided, having playing a more competitive level, uh, uh, and all that. You know, playing more, being focused in soccer, uh, wrapping up my mind as a professional soccer player. You know, and I wasn't growing up, you know, uh, as a, somebody ready mentally to become a professional soccer player. Uh, I so I kind of you know fell off in 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 Botafogo training. Uh, did really well, but they said, you know, not enough experience to make the team. You know, I mean, we're talking U18. These guys are signing These pro. Guys are they're pros. pro, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you're talking about the Fogo, first division team, mm-hmm. right? So then they, I go to a smaller club. I'm there for four months. You know, I learn a lot. Uh, I do well. That club ends. Uh, you know, they, they're struggling finan- financially. It ends. I get, I meet an agent. That guy really helped me. Um, and you know put me in Fluminense and I was always a fantastic again I was always really good on the ball my lacking on the game was the mental side and you know my tactical understanding and the defensive side but I always played up top so on outdoors you know especially in Brazil you can hide up a little bit uh, uh, that defensive side so uh, I always did really well in tryouts you know, and when I was motivated and confident, because technically and, you know, I had the talent, I would always make things happen, you know. So tryouts, I remember Fluminense tryout, we, there were two scrimmages. My team won one 4-2-2 and I scored three goals and the other one 2-1 and I scored two goals. So in two scrimmages of 30 minutes each. So obviously I got invited to start training with the team. And as that happened, my agent did his job and was like, he has a Portuguese passport. You guys can negotiate him with Europe. You know, you can, he can stay here a little bit, learn, you know, he hasn't played academy. He learned for a year or two, you know, we get him on a loan, but for somebody else, you know, in Europe, we sell him, we make, you guys make money. So that kind of was the plan he had with Fluminense. And that's kind of what I told was told for me and I signed a professional contract with Fluminense which is one of the biggest Brazilian clubs uh, in history certainly top five three academies in history of Brazilian soccer especially in the last uh, three uh, uh, two decades I mean incredible the amount of players uh, that they've put into the Brazilian national team and the highest level of Europe and Brazil Um, you know and obviously I wasn't mature enough uh, mentally uh, tactically, uh, and honestly, I think the, tat- the technical side was there, and but I was given a chance because of my potential. But I think that was a, a blessing and a curse because, as that chance was explained to me, as you're here to learn, you're not gonna play, you're here to learn, and we're gonna, you know, get you on a loan. I kind of bought into that too much, and I never really tried to, you know. I'm going to prove all these guys wrong and 
you know, break into the team because I saw the guys that I was competing against and they're getting selected to the Brazilian U20 national team. And they're, ha they're ta having taught their agents are meeting with Barcelona, Manchester United, Chelsea. You know, some of them are already sold to some of these clubs, guys that are in the locker room with me. So I'm like, I'm not going to play, you know. So I kind of accepted that. And I think a lot of that also hurt my mentality, discouraged me a little bit. And, you know, I think that was a lot of why I didn't make it. And that discouragement made me lose focus. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that happens a lot with soccer players, especially with Brazilians. Uh, they get distracted with, you know, carnival, parties, the beach, you know, the everything, all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun, you know. It's, it's Things are very accessible to you in Brazil when you're 15 years old, 14 you, years old, you, you and talk, you get distracted. You talk often now as a coach that you really are motivated by using your story as a platform to help your kids recognize what could be in front of them if they keep their their head down keep the tunnel vision focus on the right stuff um that that's a big motivator for you right it's a hundred percent and it's something that i obviously was told as a kid and i obviously didn't listen i think every kid is told tell, told that maybe not the right way at times um maybe not in the effective way maybe not from the person that should be telling them or the person they're actually going to hear it from um so i think i want to be that person for these for these kids that i coach you know and i think that's very important you know we talk a lot about the technical side and you know the things you can control you can control how much you train you can control you know if you're going to train the right way you know and all that and we can but at the end of the day you know if everybody does the same thing there's um, something else that's going to separate them right and it is the mentality it's the capability of focusing enough to put that pk in the back of the net is to make that perfect pass is to make that perfect tackle is to not panic in the right moment is not to choke you know is to when a coach is is Can I doing something that you're you're hold on yes so one of the things that you're talking about is almost a complete immersion in the game being yes. a Brazilian, you know, and in these professional youth academies. And if I'm one of a, you know, a, if I'm a parent listener to this podcast, you know, I'm saying to myself, this doesn't apply to my kid. You know, I want my kid to, you know, yeah, and make their high school team, you know, maybe get a college scholarship. We're not looking at, at you know, completely letting soccer dominate our lives. You know, we want other things for our kids. You know, and so now if you want to be immersed in this, you can make incredible strides doing what we do. But here's the thing. What we are advocating and what we practice is a unique coaching philosophy, environment, culture, and leadership focus that turns the 10,000-hour rule into 500 hours and leaves plenty of time for other important things in life. If you want to be that kid that wants to go to the highest level, this is the best place in the world for you. Because you're turning the 10,000-hour rule into 500 hours, so you're going to get 20 times the value if you do spend 10,000 hours doing this. But most of the families and kids here, they don't want that. 
you know, they want to be well-read. They want to be well-educated. They want to be well-rounded. Maybe they want to perform other sports. They want to play in other sports, you know. And so we give them a menu that allows them to be a soccer superstar, at least within high school, you know, and maybe ODP and maybe, you know, even at a lower professional level in the end. But we're not forcing this massive focus on the kids so they have to be an adult professional soccer player at the and highest here, level. And here's the thing. It's not about soccer at the end of the day. It's about life. This right. is a life lesson. Right. What, I want, what I wanted was to be a professional soccer player. So all of those things that I'm talking about is what I should have done for soccer. But having that trait and understanding those things and having the mentality to go for it both ways, attacking and defense, you know, being able to overcome the challenges, being able to fight through things, you know, being able to be creative to find solutions, being able to take risks and all that. Everything that we're talking about here for soccer, it translates to life. And all the, if that was what I wanted, that's the kind of energy that I should have put into the game to be able to make it. That's the kind of mentality that I should have had to be able to make it. And, you know, the lesson is, if it's not soccer that, you know, the kid wants, if something else, but that's the kind of approach that, you know, you got to have to something that you really want, something that you really like. And as Andy said, when you're in a place that you're maximizing all the technical side and you're getting all the repetition and you're gui being guided the right way, you know, you're maximizing your chances in less time and you have more time to do it, it, other it's stuff. A, it's a pick applicable to that, to that, that parent um, who doesn't want their, who wants their kid to have more than just a total focus on becoming a professional soccer player because that parent is still a soccer parent, right? That player is still a soccer player. And so there is a, a, a specific amount of time that they want devoted to that devoted to the game and that time that they have might be different from one kid to the next and that's fine but I think the story here that I'm hearing from you Philippe is that when you're working on the game there are things that you can be working on that allow you to have the focus that are going to maximize um, your potential in reaching your ceiling within the time you're willing to devote to it. And though, you know, we made a joke about you could have made millions as a freestyler juggler had you just had an Instagram account when you were um, uh, didn't a, exist a little at the time. kid. It didn't exist at the time. Um, but like, that's a, we're serious as well. Like you, you were, you're very clearly saying, had I taken that same time and energy and focused it in a better direction, I would have gone for Further. And when we have the episode where I talk about my time spent in the game, um, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'll have a similar story in terms of like, had I done this instead of that with the time that I used to devote to soccer, I would have been a different player and I would have realized my uh, ceiling more likely. The, the, the word that you used is ceiling, the individual ceiling. You know, and what this philosophy does, if your individual ceiling and your goal is you want to play in high school, you know, we can guarantee you, we yeah. can guarantee you you're going to play in high school out of this. If your individual ceiling is you want to play for a national team, we've had a ton of kids play for national teams. So, you know, we can't guarantee it, but, you know, we, you know, can probably get you pretty close if you've got the genetic makeup. You know, and as Peter Vermees pointed out, we've developed more professional players than all of the other Kansas City soccer clubs, youth soccer clubs combined. So, you know, we're the organization that can get you to your ceiling if what you want to do is play in MLS. You know, now, you know, that's the challenge, isn't it? As a family, what do you want your kids to do? How immersed do you want your kids to be in 
you know, what is really and truly just a kid's sport, kicking the ball around, you know, and, and dribbling the ball around. So, you know, do you want that to take precedence? Well, maybe yes, if you can see what we believe, which is that this leads to brave creative leadership in life. And then, of course, you have no ceiling. If you can walk away from a youth career knowing that you can be a brave creative leader and you can be really special in anything you choose to turn your eye to, you know, that, that is a wonderful talent to have, you know, wonderful character attribute to have that can really make you incredibly successful for the rest of your life. And what we're able to do, because we look at things so completely differently, is turn the 10,000-hour rule into 500-hour rule. One-twentieth of the time spent here will make you as good as 10,000 hours spent pretty much anywhere else on these big field complexes in Kansas City, any other of these crazy ideas that people have, you know, doing this, you know, maybe, you know, fast footwork stuff that is all the rage on the internet now. You know, what we can do is we, with the whole animal, because we've really delved into it, spent millions of dollars to get here, we can actually show you not just a gimmick we can show you the environment we can show you the culture we can show you the technical skill development happening at least 20 times faster than it can happen anywhere else we've got all of these things plus it turns you into this brave creative leadership for life leader for life and 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 the other lesson that i that i was talking uh earlier it's it's the distractions and you know andy and i talk a lot about that you know, I've had the distractions that, you know, a normal Brazilian have with all the things that happen in Brazil uh, that are really fun. And, you know, but they are distractions. They took me away from the game, you know. Uh, and we talk about a lot. We are in the era of the world that there is more distraction. You know, alcohol is still accessible for kids. It won't hurt them really much now, but it will in, in a short, in short m- midterm. Um, and then, you know, we we always talk about social media and how the phone, the amount of times they, they spend on their phone and in not playing soccer and all that kind of stuff. Those distractions are all things that hurt them and hurt them to achieve their biggest potential, not just in soccer, but in everything in life. And, you know, especially, you know, when you're th- going to the side of, you know, partying, alcohol and all those kind of things. That's more specific to soccer, but you know, if you want to achieve something remarkable, those crucial years, they have to be taken uh, seriously. You have to make sacrifices, and in life, for you to be, you know, financially stable, for you to have a good family, for you to, you know, achieve anything in life, sacrifice is something important. So you need to be able to say no to certain distractions and stay focused. So that's another lesson. If the kid wants to be a professional soccer player, they need to be able to say no to certain things at those age when they're going, getting into high school. They need to be able to say no to certain things. They need to be able to, to channel their focus into that. And with, with that kind of lesson, kids that don't want to become soccer players, they can also you know, learn how to focus on their craft and what they need to accomplish, you know, and don't get distracted by all those things as well. So, again, everything ties back into what we do as soccer as a vehicle to teach life lessons. And I think soccer has taught me all the life lessons, you know, that I can think of. I don't think it was school. I don't think it was much. I think it was all family and soccer. Well, Philippe, wrap this up for us. Put a, put a, put a bow on it. You, can, I, can I interject here? Sure. You know, just, you know, so... Yeah, you 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 know directly said girls 
are a big challenge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that was huge when I was a teenager. When I started discovering girls, you know, some some primeval motivation, you know, made me think of that, you know, a lot during the week and pursue... You know, that, that end and that objective. You know, I also spent a ton of time because in England the, the rules were so lax, poorly enforced. When I was 14, I was down the pub a lot. I played bar billiards and darts for, for the men's team at the pub, you know, because I had a good eye for, you know, a, a billiard ball. And, you know, I had a good eye for darts because my dad always had a dart board in, in the house when I was growing up. And, and so, and, and then part-time work was huge. I used to get up at five in the morning to mark up papers at the newsagents and deliver at least one round before even going to school from an 11-year-old. So all of these things were incredible time wasters, which makes what we do even more important Correct. because now there's social media. There's more. There's, yeah, there's more. more time wasters. All of these are still available and are, and are big things that impinge on a kid's focus. Now we've got to squeeze a quart out of a pint Yep. You know, so we have to have you know, the benefits of box soccer courts. And we've gone the other way. We've gone to these beautiful looking big field complexes that are fantastic for games. Absolutely horrible for individual development. Terrible. Not yep. what the greatest players in world history had to use growing up that made them great. Make it smaller, you get quicker, you get better, you have to make quicker decisions, you develop a soccer brain, you get all of these things, you know, are developed because you, you know, you, you've, got, you've got a smaller space to work with. You know, so and what was it you were about to say? I was just going to say, Joe, or, uh, Felipe, uh, put put a bow on this for us. Wrap this up. You know, you you came to Kansas City to 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 play university soccer here. Um, perhaps you loved Kansas City so much because the only state you'd seen prior to it was West Virginia. Um, but you came to Kansas City for university. Uh, you you played here collegiately, but you stayed. Um, in Kansas City, and and you could have coached for any club in Kansas City. In fact, most of the guys from your university ended up coaching for a different club than this club. But you chose this club, um, and um, uh, you know why? What? Why? Why this club um, is a better fit um, uh, for your your perspective? Just well, because the, the founder's so good looking. I mean, <laughs> with his what's shoes not on. to love with his with face? His shoes on. <laughs> Did I know the trans- the, they transferred the ownership to me? But, uh, anyway, I mean, I think you know when I first walked into the building, you know, first was the first opportunity that I got, and but I, when I first walked, actually it wasn't. Uh, but I'll tell you guys later about the first opportunity that I had here in Kansas City. Uh, but anyway. Uh, yeah, and I saw the the walls, and I saw the kids doing moves, and I saw you know what reminded me of home, and I could picture myself, man, if I had this accessible to me, I'm telling all my boys, you know, that I'm coaching, you guys are in summer vacation, like why are you guys not here from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. like playing all day long, like what are you doing, you know, but. Uh, that, that that's what I saw and that's what I wanted. And then I started finding out more about the philosophy and how the club does run things and how we f- the focus is totally on the kids and how kids that don't have the funds, we help and, you know, all the mission behind it, you know, and what the club wants for the kids is what I wanted to, to have somebody uh, back in my days doing for me you know I I could see myself all, I think all the the challenges that I had um, 
were things that legends would have given me the confidence that I needed, would have given me the focus that I needed, and would have given me the drive that I needed. Right? Like I said, my drive to learn those those juggling uh, moves and certain skills as well, but again, not super applicable, uh, was insane. If I could have pointed that into the best skills that are the ones that we teach here in the club, I would have been much better for sure. You know, and again, uh, that's, I'm not sorry for how things happen. You know, uh, I ended up having an incredible time in Brazil uh, playing for Fluminense and uh, I learned a lot as a person. I got out of a bubble, which was, you know, where I lived in Rio and met people from everywhere from, you know, completely different social classes. And, you know, that opened my eyes to everything. Uh, I got the opportunity to come to America. It was a great experience for me. Uh, I learned a lot as a person. When I came here, it, wa it was something that I was going to get into, but we're going to skip it. It's not that big of a deal. But uh, when I came here, I kind of already put in my mind that I wasn't going to play soccer professionally anymore. So I just enjoyed the experience. Like I had no focus of being a professional soccer player, of getting better or anything like that. I just wanted to play decently well you know, during the season and have fun. Um, but, you know, then I found coaching and I think, you know, that's my, you know, something that I really enjoy doing and that's my calling, you know, helping kids uh, to find themselves and be the best version of themselves that they can be. And for the coaches, help the kids to be the best versions of the of themselves as they can be every single one of them not just one or two you know give every single one of them a, a chance Th share your experience you know make them learn from uh, your mistakes you know uh, point them into the right direction give them the confidence you know install them the right mentality because that's very important for soccer players that's why I'm, I'm coaching and I think the club here realigns with my philosophy you know and you know I like the people here even though they're not good looking so <laughs> I'm going to ignore that last remark. That's that was extremely rude. You know, I I can't help my genetics. You know, that's <laughs> I I wanted to wrap up my piece of this uh with with discipline and habit. And you know, to to end my involvement here and I'm not going to say another word after this. If you have the discipline, <laughs> well spotted, if you have the discipline and make training here and playing this way a habit, you will be way more successful than kids who don't. Period. G given the same genetics, yeah. et cetera. You know, it, it's just that simple. And way more successful. Ridiculously way more successful. Yep. So that's, that's what this comes down to. You know, and... We all have different environments growing up, you know, and, you know, we can trace what it was that we did well and we did not do well. And this whole, you know, concept that we've got here, everything we've got here does everything well if you follow the blueprint. Yep. Yeah. And optimizes child potential because yep. of it. Yep, for sure. Philippe, it was fun diving into your background to Brazilian culture um, and, uh, Next, next week we'll get to, you know, Andy mentioned um, uh, there's so many legends players have grown up and gone on to play pro. We're going to listen and hear from one that did not. <laughs> so we've got that to look forward to. Good <laughs> job, <laughs> forward to. Good job, Philippe. All right. Thank you. Goodbye, guys. Thanks, guys. Later, guys. Bye.